Hi everyone and welcome to Sama, a program which invites experts to discuss their area of expertise. This week we are delighted to have Dr. Bill McGraw to tell us the ultimate truth about mercury toxicity. Bill is a research scientist in the fields of environmental science, agriculture, fisheries, uh, coral reefs and health. He has developed proprietary self-contained agriculture production systems which enhance the natural environment by recycling any byproducts and turning it into usable biomass. His current activities range from publishing research in scientific journals and websites to detoxing clients from heavy metals using life technology. His clinic is located in Burkett in lovely Panama. So welcome to our show, Bill. It's fantastic to have you with us. Uh, thanks very much, John. It's an honor and pleasure uh, to be here, and I'm looking forward to uh, to this interview. We've um, spent the last ha half an hour talking about all sorts of things, things that really belonged in the summer, I suppose, or, or many of the things did. Fascinating things. So, so we're probably going to repeat some of these items now. I wanted to ask you, first of all, Bill, how did you get interested in the beginning in Berkeley? and the dangers of mercury. Ooh, that's uh, quite a story. I think everyone who has a, developed a passion for something has an experience and a story to tell. And my story started 10 years ago when I developed insomnia. I was working 16 hours a day on an aquaculture project in South Africa. I developed insomnia. The insomnia was in the form of sleeping, sleeping a couple hours and then I'd get up and I couldn't go back to sleep. Well, this went on for a while I went to a medical doctor and he gave me prescription drugs. They worked for a while. It was a, a good drug that worked for a couple of um, months. And then uh, after a while, I needed another drug. And this went on for, for months and months. So uh, after a while, I went to see another doctor, got another drug and so on. And uh, before long, uh, the insomnia went on into, and created uh, anxiety. And so... The anxiety uh, went on for a time and I went to more and more doctors and eventually they just uh, gave me, uh, just wrote me out a, a prescription for uh, Valium and just said, look, I don't want to see you again. So I went to the naturopathic doctors and they hooked me up to machines and these machines kicked out uh, these summaries of 150 things wrong with me. And I looked at the doctor and said, you know, I'm, I'm just here for insomnia. I just need to cure my insomnia. And uh, that's it. And, but uh, they gave me herbal supplements and gave me, you know, ion foot baths, which I wasn't sure was going to work. And it just like rust in the water. And so eventually I just threw up my hands. I said, look, I've had enough. So I started reading and, and researching on my own and read hundreds of books and research papers, and I figured out I had a uh, mineral deficiency that was caused by mercury toxicity. And so I went through a hair analysis and uh, uh, determined I had um, deranged mineral transport. And what mercury does in the body is actually prevents the utilization, absorption, and transfer of minerals in the body. And so this creates problems such as anxiety, depression, uh, headaches. And so, you know, when I started taking magnesium, I started taking quota minerals, I started supplementing with potassium, my insomnia got better, my anxiety was completely gone. And, you know, and then the next stage was to uh, say, how do I get rid of this mercury toxicity? So uh, then I began studying uh, how to get rid of mercury and in intestinal binders. 90% of all the mercury in your body is naturally uh, eliminated through the large intestine. So uh, there are stages of inflammation and detox where you're going to remove mercury and it has to be a slow process and it can take years to get all of the mercury out of your body. In the meantime, you need to be supplementing with minerals and potentially anti-inflammatory foods as you go through the detoxification process. So as I'm going through this, I had a thought, maybe I should document this and put this into a book. As I'm reading all of these many books on mercury toxicity, some of them are very good for uh, detoxification on chelation protocols, such as the books written by Dr. Andrew Cutler for, for removing mercury predominantly through the kidneys, which is not such a good idea because the kidney gets damaged really heavily with chronic mercury toxicity. And I went wow. through books on, we're going to get into that. Oh boy, that's a long story. It's a, a fun, going to have be a fun time. And there's books on mercury amalgam fillings and how they cause problems. And you'll find a book on mercury toxicity in fish. But you'll never find a book 
that covers the whole thing from where mercury was pulled out of the ground to how it ended up in industry and medicine and in our bodies and how we get rid of it appropriately and what are the rules and guidelines created to protect us from mercury toxicity. So this is how the 500 sources came about. And the more I read about it, the more I couldn't stop. And it was like going down a rabbit hole. And so I just kept going and going. And eventually it wound up into a book. And I just 12 hours a day, seven days a week for a year until the writing was done. And as we discussed previously, then I got into editing, formatting, uh, publishing, and promoting the book, which is a lot of work. Can't say I want to do it again. But the truth is, I would have never gotten into back into studying medicine. I would have stayed with my uh, studying agriculture had it not been for the insomnia that that nobody could seem to uh, solve for me or help help me with. And I had to solve it myself. And it's kind of disappointing that no one said, hey, Bill, you know, did you ever think about supplementing with some minerals? Uh, you know, mineral deficiencies can cause these problems. Or, hey, Bill, how many mercury amalgam fillings do you have? Uh, how many uh, vaccines have you had? Uh, how many carnivorous fish do you eat a week? And so on. And no one ever said that to me. I found it all disturbing because I went to naturopathic doctors as well. And nobody ever came across this, despite that I saw at least 10 and probably more doctors intensively and did all these tests and did all these supplements. And, and, and I just had enough and I had to solve my own problems. So eventually someone came up to me one day and said, well, you know, you're into this, all this, uh, you know, natural, natural medicine. Do you ever think about Rife technology? And I said, no, I've never heard of it. So they said, well, you should check it out. And I read it and I was fascinated. Royal Rife, what a story. What an amazing story and, and tragic as well. And so I looked up the Spooky 2 system and, and of course bought everything I could afford and shipped it in and immediately began. And I took to it uh, right away. Uh, very naturally, I just started working with it because I've been using computers for 35 years and I knew how to use computers. And I knew a lot about medicine and I knew a lot about Rife by the time that computer came. And so I just turned it on and began using it started healing family members. I've got a big family here in Panama. My wife has uh, nine brothers and sisters, so I've treated just about everyone, including uh, my wife's 91-year-old mother uh, for tinnitus and a few different other things, and just started healing people. And then I turned into a regular job. And um, so that's how it happened. I guess it's not a short story, but I developed a real passion. <laughs> uh, and i uh, I'm studying now to become a naturopathic doctor, and I want to just about learn just about everything there is to know about chronic toxicity. Obviously, I don't want to become an MD and write prescription drugs. I wasn't, that didn't work out for me. I don't want to become an emergency room doctor, but I want to focus on chronic disease, and it's very gratifying to be able to heal someone, in particular, somebody who's been suffering for years. And I have some high, highlights and some high points of using the, the Spooky 2 uh, uh, equipment that I'd like to share with everybody, I think it would be very beneficial. Okay, <laughs> we don't normally do like, um, okay, <laughs> yeah, sure, no problem. <laughs> okay, so, uh, go ahead, I'm sorry, I'm probably gonna talk too much. <laughs> oh, well, um, oh, is mercury toxicity something new that's industrial as we've dug things out of the ground and processed things? Has it brought up an evil that's been lurking deep? Or has there always been a level of mercury in the you environment? You know, that is just an absolute awesome question. Uh, you know, mercury is a natural part of the Earth's crust. It's the second most toxic element known to man. It's always been here. 10,000 years ago, people who lived on the coast and who ate fish all the time had high mercury levels. But here's the kicker. Mercury has increased by a factor of over 10 times in the environment since before the 1800s, okay? And that's kind of a long story uh, as to how and why mercury has increased by a factor of 10 times. So if we look back before the 1800s, we'll, do, we'll indeed we find hair samples of mummies and we'll see that, you know, the hair uh, analysis would show that mercury in the hair was you know, five times what it be what it be for a person who's not mercury toxic. So people had to deal with mercury. However, the amounts they had to deal with were about ten percent of what we have to deal with now. Now the 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 big you know news flash or the most important thing I can express here is how the heck did mercury end up in the environment at such a high level? Well it starts, I'd have to say with the 1800s and the rise of the Industrial Revolution. We used mercury. Mercury is an amazing metal. It's the only metal that's liquid at room temperature. It's the only metal that will evaporate just in room temperature. So if I have a handful of mercury or I have a glass of mercury here, within a few hours this entire room will become mercury contaminated with vapor and 
I would have to leave this room or within a few weeks to a month, I would become toxic and have to go to the hospital. That's how dangerous that metal is. However, it has many interesting properties that uh, make it very valuable to use in industry. So along comes 1850. It's a very interesting time for mercury. Uh, the gold rush starts in California. Now uh, people mine 250,000 metric tons of mercury in California to use as an amalgam to pull gold out of sediments and then uh, to extract the gold and then, of course, get money for the gold. So mercury has a, problem, a, 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 a process of amalgamation. So if I add mercury to a pan full of sediments and gold flakes and swish it around, that mercury will hold the gold. It will combine with it as an amalgam and hold it in the bottom of the pan. So over time, I keep doing this and I, I, I get my mercury amalgam, which is about 50% uh, mercury. What I'll do is then burn off the mercury and then I will collect the gold and then turn it in. So 250,000 metric tons went into the environment of California. Now mercury has this property where it attaches to sulfur on proteins. It also attaches to sulfur in the environment. So it has a tendency to stay and be recycled continually in a, in a location and it takes thousands of years to get rid of. So the San Francisco Bay is contaminated with so much mercury that no one can eat the fish or shellfish out of there without becoming mercury toxic. And so what happens is all of that mercury that's in the mines is still contaminating the local waterways and there's no really good way to get rid of it. It will be a long time and a lot of work to get rid of that mercury out of the environment. So that's one way. And we can see the mercury in ice cores from areas of uh, the Wyoming glaciers. If we take an ice core, we'll see that uh, the mercury can be, uh, the concentrations in the ice core can be found and we'll see that it spikes for the uh, period during the gold rush. So that was the first big thing. And artisanal gold mining is currently today 40% of all the man-made input of mercury into the environment. And so that's still today, and that's just the price of gold. People are out there panning for gold because the price of gold is so high. So that's the first thing. And then along came the Industrial Revolution. We start burning coal. Well, coal contains a lot of mercury. It's 0.1 parts per million mercury. And all that mercury goes straight up into the atmosphere when you burn coal. And we use coal for smelting and pulling metals out of ores. And we use coal to make electricity and so on. So 70%, maybe 65% of all your mercury into the environment comes from coal and artisanal mining. So through the Industrial Revolution, all of this mercury gets into the environment. And then you have Almaden, Spain, 250,000 metric tons of mercury was dumped into the environment because they needed mercury to send to the new world because they were, everybody was getting gold. And this is going back even to the 1500s. So even before the 1800s, the Spain was sending uh, mercury into the new world to be used for, to create mercury amalgams, to, to take the gold out of the sediments. And then they, of course they would transfer gold to the, to the Spanish empire and, and so on. And so a lot of it came out there and then the industrial revolution. And now here we are today still using mercury in industry such as PVC and the chloralkali industry, and we're still putting mercury in the environment. So mercury has increased over time steadily on a linear basis, especially since 1970. So that's how mercury really got into the environment because of the incredible recycling characteristics of mercury and because of the credible input from industry and all the mercury that came into the environment from the mercury mines from using it for to, to, uh, to mine for gold. And that's probably the biggest part of the story of how this happened. And I could, I could keep going on and on. I mean, there's another part where there's man-made, I mean, natural sources of mercury in the environment from volcanoes and forest fires, and it's naturally found in soils and rocks. Also, one other thing before we get into something new. Okay, there's an area known as the Mercuriferous Belt. It pretty much mirrors the area around uh, the Pacific coast and it mirrors, mirrors the area known as the Pacific Ring of Fire. Okay, so anywhere you have higher geological activity and volcanoes and earthquakes, such as the coast of California, the coast of Indonesia, uh, you're going to have higher mercury levels. And there's an area down the Atlantic Ocean where you're going to have higher geological activity and higher there's just higher mercury in the environment. Higher mercury in the environment means you're gonna have your mercury mines lo located there and higher natural vapor levels. But one thing I'd like to stress is that 
we have 10 times the mercury in our environment because we pulled it out of the ground and it ended up in the environment being recycled. If we didn't use it for mining, we didn't use it for industry, we would not have a problem. We didn't use it for medicine, such as mercury amalgam fillings and thimerosal. None of us, I wouldn't be here talking to you right now. I wouldn't have had the mercury amalgam problems that I, the mercury toxicity problems that I have now, and I wouldn't be studying medicine. And I wouldn't be here with you talking to you right now. That's for sure. That's for absolute certain. If mercury has become part of the life cycle of the planet, of animals on, on the surface of the globe, right. uh, is, it, is it a closed loop? Or will it ever become dissipated? Go, would it be, ever be reduced? Yeah, another great question. So as mercury is naturally recycling around the planet from uh, you know, the vapors that naturally come off geological areas where you have mercury mines and you have mercury near the, the naturally in the environment, it's constantly cycling. So a sink, here's a, 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 an important fact that probably most people don't know. The ocean itself holds 51% of all the mercury on the planet and it gives off this mercury and it absorbs mercury as a sink over time. So all life absorbs mercury. Mercury is higher in plant matter around coal burning power plants. Mercury is higher around areas where there's mercury mines or where there's industries such as chloralkali or PVC production. The mercury vapors are going to escape as known as fugitive emissions. In other words, people don't really account for it. And it ends up being absorbed by plants and then the animals eat the plants. Because mercury attaches to sulfur and proteins and everything has proteins, we absorb the proteins when we eat the animals that had mercury. And that mercury stays in our body, is continually recycled. As we continually take more mercury in, we accumulate it, it gets recycled and bioaccumulated in our body until we get older and bigger, we have more and more mercury. So as we get older, we just keep developing more and more possibility of mercury toxicity symptoms. So there is a natural cycle of mercury that would happen around the planet regardless of industry. However, I mean, it's every time that you have a volcano, you have a forest fire, Anytime you have burning of anything, you're going to have mercury given off, especially for coal. Uh, but the problem is it's been increased 10 times over because of the mercury mines, because of the industry, because if we pulled it out of the ground. Had we not pulled it out of the ground, oh, geez, it would have been, life would have been easy, and we would just have a, a small amount to deal with from volcanoes and geological areas where there's higher mercury vapor naturally. Right. For a metal... A substance which is a liquid, so it's quite, it's very volatile. It seems also quite stable in a way, doesn't it? It doesn't decompose as such. It doesn't oxidize, does it? Well, actually, it mercury vapor in the in, in the atmosphere oxidizes. So as you have, you know, if there's, um, you know, mercury in rocks, cinnabar is an ore that they pull out of the ground. It's the big ore uh, that they used and they crush it and they remove the mercury. As if I had a piece of cinnabar, in fact, in my office, I have a piece of cinnabar. I had to have one so I knew what it looked like, right? I had to see the enemy to know what it was, right? And so I'm, if I held that cinnabar in my hand, it will produce mercury vapor. The mercury vapor eventually goes off into the atmosphere. It's oxidized into an ion, and it falls back to earth as water and rain. And it slowly makes its way into the soils and into the streams and makes its way back into the ocean. Now, here's a point that we're going to pick up that I'm going to say probably over and over, and it's got to be one of the most important points I'm going to make this evening. Elemental mercury is not very toxic to the body. Back in the day, going back to the 1850s, 1870s, people would drink a glass of mercury to cure constipation. No kidding. Now, how did they survive, you might ask? I thought, I, I thought you said that mercury is the second most toxic element. It is. In fact, most of the 1% of the mercury would be absorbed and the rest would pass through the intestines and hopefully solve the constipation. And people would develop mercurial tumors because the elemental mercury was toxic. However, it doesn't attach to sulfur on proteins like the organic form of mercury known as methyl mercury. Now, as the elemental mercury makes its way into the environment, it will end up in sediments. If these sediments are anaerobic, as you would find near anywhere near population centers where uh, sediments near the estuaries become, they become organically rich and they have sulfur just from natural organic pollution. We're, you know, people pollute the atmosphere, the environment. And so as this sulfur collects in the sediments and becomes anaerobic, the elemental mercury enters the sediments and then it's changed into mercury, uh, methyl mercury, that's the organic type, 
which is the super toxic type. And that attaches to sulfur in, this, in the proteins, and it works its way up the food chain from one level to the next, increasing by a factor of 10 until we come upon the fish that we're going to eat. Now that methylmercury we get into our body tends to stay in the body unless we aggressively detox it and remove it from our bodies, which is not only difficult, but it can be dangerous. So it has to be done slowly and carefully over time. Which is the perfect time for me to ask, how do you do it? How, if you've got mercury in your body, how do you chelate okay. it out? Okay, this is, I guess, uh, another, I'm glad we're getting this stuff out of the way because these are complicated stories. Mercury has to be removed slowly. Acute mercury toxicity, such as, let's say I had, um, I was playing with mercury, and there's some stories about that. Uh, I have mercury that I dumped around my house, and it evaporates over time, and the uh, atmosphere is full of mercury, and I'm inhaling it continually and absorbing it into my body, and I suffer from mercury toxicity. 20% of all the vapor I'm inhaling from the elemental mercury is going through the blood-brain barrier directly into my brain, being transferred into an ionic form, and then being trapped in the brain. It cannot move back through the blood-brain barrier if it's in ionic form, it's polarized. So it gets stuck inside the brain where it deteriorates neurons or brain cells, and then it also causes all kinds of problems with neurotransmitters. And so it basically drives you crazy, such as the Mad Hatter, which hopefully we'll get a chance to talk about. So as the mercury is put in your body acutely, it can be removed quickly if it's in your blood through intravenous chelators because your kidneys haven't been damaged yet. Okay, the acute toxicity is much easier to deal with. Here's the reality. The reality of 99% of all the mercury toxicity we deal with is not, it's not acute. It's, it's chronic over time. Oh boy, when your mother has mercury amalgam fillings, when, you're, when she's uh, eating carnivorous fish, when she's getting vaccines, and she has those mercury amalgam fillings, all that mercury is in her bloodstream going right through the placental barrier into a child, and over time, that child's that fetus is collecting mercury and it's born, the child is born with a mercury burden. Now from here it's getting shot up with imerosol vaccines. From there it's going to get older, it turn into a kid, it's going to have uh, mercury amalgam fillings, more vaccines, it's going to eat carnivorous fish, and the story goes on. Over time you develop mercury toxicity. Chronic mercury toxicity means that 80% of all the mercury taken into your body is stored in the kidney, 15% in the liver, and then 10% makes its way into your brain and gets stuck there. Now, over time, the body has two choices to deal with that mercury. It's only going to be in your blood for five days before it's gotten rid of. It has a very short half-life. The body needs to get it out of the blood or it will kill you. So it takes it and stores it in tissues, uh, fat cells, but predominantly in, in, the, in the kidney where it damages it so you can't really filter out the mercury. In the liver, which is responsible for glutathione production, which is the natural body's natural chelator, and then the rest in the brain. So your body is full of all of this mercury in these tissues, and these organs that are damaged are the same ones responsible for helping you get rid of mercury. So it's almost diabolical the way it prevents itself from being removed from the body. So it has to be done very slowly over time, and typically a mercury toxic, toxic person like me has damaged kidneys. So what do you do? Mercury is naturally removed at 90%. 90% of it is removed through the intestine. So you have to develop more glutathione by taking antioxidants, by taking intestinal binders such as chlorella and spirulina, binding the mercury in the intestine, and then pushing out through the gastrointestinal tract slowly over time. If you dump too much mercury into your blood, let's say I get uh, crazy and I decided to take a lot of uh, chelators, the DMPS, the DMSA, and so on. I don't advise it. I don't think it's good. I take a lot of that stuff because I don't know what I'm doing. Well, the body is going to, you're going to bind some mercury, and then a lot's going to be poured in from the tissues back into the blood. And now I've got a chronic mercury toxicity problem because there's lots of mercury in my blood. I've got more headaches, insomnia, and so on. And now what do I do? My kidneys are damaged, so I can't use the high, the high chelators such as DMPS and DMSA because a lot of that's supposed to be removed through the kidneys. My kidneys are damaged from a lifetime of mercury input from my mercury amalgam fillings, my thimerosal vaccines, uh, my eating carnivorous fish. So what do I do? Slowly move it through the intestines over time by taking intestinal binders. Okay, so... What happens, I'm going to get into this. This is a tough one, but we can make it through. Okay, uh, what happens is there's three types of people. Now, when I studied the Minimata disaster, okay, uh, 
I figured out there was people who were taking in mercury, but who didn't develop mercury toxicity. And I had to ask myself why. Why were some people getting sick and others weren't? And I determined through studying some work uh, by Dr. Chris Shade that certain people could take into the mercury into their body quickly, excrete it. Other people took it in, couldn't get rid of it, wound up storing it and made them sick. It caused massive problems and, and in the end result, resulted in, in, in killing or, or causing a lot of problems in 3,000 people in Minimata, Japan. Okay, so I had to figure out what, what was that story. And it turns out that if you're not under stress, you're taking, eating a good diet and making a lot of glutathione, let's say you have a lot of sulfur on your proteins and that's genetically determined, you can get rid of mercury out of your body fairly quickly. This is known as a fast excreter. The second type of person is a slower excreter. This person mm, doesn't make as much glutathione, doesn't have as good, a good diet, maybe has more stress, like I had, and doesn't chelate and, and remove, body, remove mercury from the body that quickly. And so I'm a slow excreter, so I'm more likely to have a mercury toxicity problem. And then there's a very slow excreter. Let's say the person is predisposed to not making as much glutathione, not having as much sulfur on my, on my proteins, so I can't really attach to mercury and get rid of it out of my body as quickly. So over time, I'm building up mercury. I'm experiencing mercury toxicity symptoms faster, and I'm the person who's going to have a problem developing uh, problems with mercury over time and need serious attention and help and serious detox over time. That's hopefully going to be slow. So that's how you get rid of it. And I would advise anybody who's seriously mercury toxic to contact a, uh, a person who's very familiar with mercury toxicity and is very successful in removing it from the body through chelation protocols, uh, such as binders, intestinal binders, such as, you know, infrared saunas can remove metals slowly over time. And they're very good. So saunas, uh, there's the coffee enemas, uh, which help to remove uh, metals from the body and clean up the liver, which is damaged from mercury toxicity. So I hope that's, I hope that's understood by everyone. Okay, well, um, as I said at the beginning of the summer, if anyone has any questions, please do feel free to ask them under the live stream video or via Zoom online. You said, Bill, that you've used Rife technology to help overcome mercury poisoning. Right. That's going to be predominant. Now, I want to go over some of the work that I did with Rife because there's some success stories that I think are going to benefit people who are using Rife currently. And uh, I think it's been very gratifying, and I want to share those stories, just a couple of highlights. Well, one of the things that, that helped me with mercury toxicity in my life was with headaches. I did have mercury toxicity headaches. A lot of people who are going through uh, detox will have headaches and insomnia. And, Merc and, and Rife technology definitely helped me with um, eliminating headaches by using the frequency, headache frequencies, using the remote technology, you know, putting the fingernail in the remote machine. And over after a couple hours, I would get relief from headaches. Also, with insomnia, I would run, relax with sleeping frequencies overnight. I would definitely sleep better. I would advise that for anybody experiencing insomnia or headaches to use those frequencies. And there were other frequencies I used for things like back pain and so on. Very effective through the remote over time. Within a few hours, I would get relief. So, uh, Unfortunately, one of the hardest things to treat, and this is all of medicine in the world today, is pain and inflammation. Inflammation is associated with the three top diseases, the cancer, the heart disease, the, the Alzheimer's, the diabetes, and it's the hardest thing to treat is inflammation. And the only way that I could get success treating people inflammation here in Boquete is if I had them change their diet, remove inflammatory foods such as you know your fried foods your processed foods gluten sugar things like this eliminated from the diet add anti-inflammatory foods which are your cinnamon turmeric uh, flaxseed chia seed raw ginger cayenne pepper things like this over time would tend to reduce inflammation in the body and then adding anti-inflammation frequencies through rife technology using the remote option over time and that's the only way it could affect inflammation there's some people Inflammation is so stubborn in the human body, it's just the most difficult thing I've had to deal with. Now, the, on the other 
on the under end, end of the spectrum, I've had wonderfully, wonderful easy times killing stuff in the human body, such as I've had people come to me with shingle infections that they've had for years, and I've run one or two uh, uh, rife treatments, spooky to uh, plasma, and it's gone. I never see them again. And they write me back, oh, yeah, that's all gone. Thanks. And I never see them again. Uh, so it works very well for eliminating viruses, parasites, and bad bacteria in the body. And, of course, in Panama, our waters, um, you, need, you need to filter all the water here. It's a little bit rough, and you can get a lot of parasites. And I have good results treating parasites in the human body. Now, on a heavier note, I treated my first skin cancer patient. This is a man who's had skin cancer for over 15 years. He's had five cancer surgeries, including the Mohs surgery, which is a very intense surgery. It takes hours of, of taking skin samples and looking at the condition of the skin. And uh, then he went through three weeks of radiation. Now, I did apply four Rife treatments over time, including, including the original Rife frequencies using the new program, the new Spooky Do program, which it was pretty exciting for me. And it was about two weeks, and we had no result. And so uh, my client said to me, well, what happened? And I said, geez, you know, I don't know. And I said, you're my first cancer patient. <clears throat> and he said to me, uh, the next, and a few days later, he had a, a, a detox reaction. There were cuts on his face where these uh, skin cancer cells, because he did not have any visible tumors, uh, skin cancer aggregations were were just gone. They were they were uh, killed, and then there were marks there that quickly healed. And then he peeled four layers of skin off his face. Now I was pretty excited to see that because his complexion was better. He felt better, and of course I was pretty excited. It was very gratifying. But I'm waiting on the dermatology report for the before and after results before I can say yay. I, I look at all this great stuff I've done. Well, look at all this great stuff that you've done, John, uh, developing Spooky too. So that was an exciting story and I'm looking forward to, uh, to publishing some of the results and looking forward to the dermatology report, which, and only she can say for sure because uh, there's no visible tumors uh, on the client. So he's pretty happy and I can't wait to get in there and talk to the dermatology uh, dermatologist, uh, of course, all in Spanish. And my, my Spanish is up to the task, of course. And uh, so that's uh, my, um, my wonderful results and my wonderful experience using Spooky 2. I've been using it for four years. I would strongly advise anybody who's treating people and treating anyone for chronic disease uh, to engage the Spooky 2 technology because it's fantastic. All this stuff is still working after four years, except maybe I've got two generators that I've used very intensively that need work, but you know everything else is still working fantastic. And although the program may seem intimidating, it, over time you'll get used to it. Just like it says in the manual, you had a hard time driving at, for, when you first drove a car, didn't you? And of course, of course you did. And over time, if you can learn Microsoft Word and all these rest of these programs, you can learn Spooky too. And, and it's a very gratifying experience to be able to heal people from chronic disease and pre, and solve their problems and prevent further suffering. I found it very gratifying. Some people watching this video now will be he hearing the word Rife and not know what, what Rife is. Rife, Rife was a scientist who, uh, in the early 1900s, developed methods of applying frequencies to kill bacteria. When you think how basic it is to, when you push your child on a swing, just to push the child at the right time, the child is going to swing higher and higher. And it's just so basic, and yet it's being argued that resonance it's not a valid way of destroying pathogens. It's just crazy, counterintuitive. Mm -hmm. How how friendly is Panama uh, to, to, to alternative medicines? Well, there is probably, I think, three other people using Rife technology. I don't know if they're using it as intensively. I am. I don't know if there is. They're, they're a big Rife proponent. I don't know if they have all the equipment that I have, or they're that intense about it because I'm pretty intense. I feel pretty confident in treating people because of the results I've had. But, you know, it's alternative medicine is fairly popular here. It's not frowned upon. It's not, uh, you're not persecuted because you, you help people cure, cure people or, or uh, you, you're against, you're not an advocate of prescription drugs because I went through the prescription drug plan for many years and it just did not do anything for me. And I, I didn't want to be on drugs the rest of my life. So. So I, that's why I'm a big proponent of Rife technology. I'm sure I am. Um, and I think it was the most recent summer, the expert ex told me that virtually everyone is on six or seven 
prescription drugs. Right. It's just, this is the modern world. It's just absolutely incredible. For, to me, like a, a prescription drug should be for an emergency. So if something is really needing attention. And then after a week or so, when your body corrects itself, you've got your balance. Why do you need to maintain illness? Well, I don't I've got just a fantastic story I'm going to share with you now. It's a bit of a tangent, but not so. Uh, okay, so I look, you'll see why. I'll, I will get around to it. It's uh, none of my, the only complaint I've ever had from people is none of my answers are short. And that's because, well, I get attracted to these things that are hard to explain. Okay, I, I find this story on osteoporosis on msn.com. And I treat people for osteoporosis, uh, rheumatoid arthritis, and so on. It's an inflammation condition. And it looks, and this article says, quote, unquote, 300,000 people in the United States break a hip every year. And bone density over the past 20 years has decreased greatly. And I thought to myself, what is going on? And then the article goes on to say, well, drugs can reduce fractures by 40 to 67%. And I thought to myself immediately, now hang on a minute. If you're taking drugs, you're not solving your osteoporosis. If you, and what's funny is, or not funny, uh, rather odd and rather uh, synergistic or whatever you'd like to call it, uh, whatever. Uh, what, what's really odd, I have this, there's always these, uh, Things happening in my life that are rather odd. Okay, so right down the street, uh, my neighbor breaks both of his hips and get, has the one replaced and the other one's broken. And he's going to be in a wheelchair the rest of his life, and it's so sad. And I thought to myself, just what is going on with osteoporosis? If you replace a hip in your body, uh, it doesn't mean you solved osteoporosis. You still have osteoporosis. You better be prepared to replace the other hip, your elbow, your knee, and so on. Where does it stop? Where do you stop? Which you're going to take drugs the rest of your life? You're going to get every single bone replaced in your body? No. The only answer is to mineralize your bones. You have to take you have to take some sort of mineral supplement that's broad range, a colloidal mineral supplement. You have to engage in eating organic food that's grown on mineral-rich soils. You have to get the minerals back into your body. The bone is made from 40 different elements. It's not just calcium, so calcium supplements aren't going to solve your problem. So by slowly uh, engaging in mineral-rich food and uh, colloidal supplements, uh, over time you can remineralize re the bone. Now how it happened is an interesting story. Uh, when the body needs minerals, it pulls it out of a sink. That sink is your bones. Over time, the bones get brittle and they break. And by getting a hip replacement, it isn't going to fix the osteoporosis. Guess what happens in arteriosclerosis? When you have a blocked artery, it's going to be the smallest artery. The smallest artery in your body is affected first, not the biggest. But when you get a, a, a circumvent uh, the problem with your art, when you have a heart attack, you get a bypass put in, which is an artery around the problem, and they pump uh, uh, more oxygenated blood to different parts of your heart, you get, I don't know, you get a different whole new heart put in, but it doesn't solve the problem of arteriosclerosis. You still have arteriosclerosis. All you've done is help out your heart. The rest of your body is still inflammation and still has the problem of blocked arteries. Until you solve the problem of arteriosclerosis, it doesn't matter. You might as well replace every artery and vein in your entire body. And until you solve the problem of osteoporosis, you might as well go ahead and line up, get yourself back in line for, to get a hip, an elbow, you know, get whatever else you need because you haven't solved the problem of osteoporosis. To solve the problem, you're going to have to introduce mineral-rich components into your body to remineralize the bones, make them harder. And engage, of course, in weight training exercises, which will force the bones to become more stable and harder, and and uh, and they won't break. Go figure, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> when it's back to basics, we start off at the summer with uh, talking about technology and uh, right. <sighs> Alexis. <laughs> <laughs> That's the story. Five G and Alexis. Alexis, why do we have osteoporosis? Well, Bill, it's because you don't have enough drugs. Alexis, turn yourself off, please. I mean, I could go on and on. I'm not a big fan of all the crazy Alexis business. I think it's not. That a conversation you described, did, tell me it didn't happen. Tell me Alexis didn't tell you not taking the right drugs. Uh, no, no, I, I, was, I was kidding. But what <laughs> did happen? No, I'm, I, I can imagine. Look, I can imagine that that thing is going to not exactly give you an unbiased opinion of, of answers to your questions. And so conversations that I had with a friend of mine who has an Alexa machine would automatically appear on the screen, on the television screen in front of us. And we didn't ask for that, it just, it just happened. And I said, hey, 
this thing is, is putting in conversation we're having on the on the television. What's going on? So it's kind of freaky, and uh, I wouldn't necessarily trust. And all the major media articles, I just one article after the other, I say, no, that's not right. No, that isn't right. Why is it saying that? What's that picture doing there? And so I do this for my YouTube channel, the Mercury channel, where I'm going to get into these articles and just poke holes in them. And it takes all of about uh, uh, two minutes of reading the article to actually say, oh no, these three things are wrong. And then I go and make my YouTube video and discuss why they're wrong. And so they're blatantly apparent. And unfortunately, that's why you have the rise of these alternative medicine channels, the Mike Adams and Natural News, the Dr. McCullough's uh, new special, and the, you know, the Thai, uh, um, the truth about cancer, Thai, I can't remember his last name. I'm bad with names, but you'll, you'll, you'll see him out there. And I think everybody knows who I'm talking about. Um, and the, the rise of these natural news alternative media channels that are, people are putting out the truth and people are getting better and, and using alternative uh, therapies that are working and people are getting better and uh, you don't have to be on drugs the rest of your life. You can, you can heal and cure your problems. Answers are out there, you know. Uh, so turn off your Alexa and, and turn on something better. Turn on, turn on some alternative therapies like Rife and take some minerals and solve your problem. Don't be, don't be uh, fall into the trap of taking drugs the rest of your life, trying to fix your problem. That isn't fixing your problem. Don't get a hip and a heart and this and that and the other. Fix your problem because <laughs> it's, it's sort of like going into a. I think about it as a car. You know, your your radiator's blocked. Your radiator's blocked. In your car. Your car's overheating. What are you going to do? Well, I don't know, put a pipe from one end of the uh, engine to the other and keep the engine going. Well, hang on a minute. There was a problem to begin with. What caused your cog to radiator to begin with? It's probably minerals precipitating in your, in your radiator. What about that? So you have to go back. No matter how many parts are replaced, you got to go back and fix the problem. So really fix the problem with, with some sort of therapy that works rather than going into drugs and replacement therapy. The body does not have replacement parts, nor was it ever made to have a hip put in or any of that stuff. You know, the people that have hips come back and tell me they still have inflammation in their hip. So I don't know how that works. It has to do with meridians and so on. Wow. Yeah, I know it's a mad world. Mad world. What, what is the mechanism of mercury uh, preventing your body from absorbing nutrients and minerals. Okay, that's a good one. Okay, mercury interferes with the absorption, utilization, and transfer of minerals throughout the body. And that is because mercury attaches to the sulfuron enzymes and destroys every single process in your body from neural transmission and the formation and transfer of neurotransmitters to digestion to your uh, depressing your immune system, and the story goes on and on. But if we have mercury in our body, it takes the place on enzymes that other minerals are supposed to take, such as zinc. So it gets in the way of the body utilizing zinc. The, mer the, zinc, the mercury will enter in and interrupt that enzyme and interrupt that process by sort of preventing, mercury, uh, preventing zinc from doing its job. It prevents the utilization of that mineral by blocking its transfer and blocking its place in the enzyme. And once the mercury gets attached to the sulfuronic enzyme, it stays on it until you actively treat it by, by a glutathione mo molecule or a chelator. And then it pulls, grabs a hold of that mercury and through an enzyme known as S-transferase, it grabs a hold of the mercury and through cat, uh, carrier proteins and fats, we move that mercury around the body into the liver. And if our liver is not damaged too much, we push it through the gallbladder, into the intestine, and out through the gastrointestinal tract, where 90% of all the mercury is normally removed, not only in our bodies, but actually in marine mammals as well. I've got a chapter about marine mammals in my book because it's fascinating, because there, a lot of them are dying from mercury toxicity. Okay, can we just quickly talk about them? Because it is a very fascinating um, subject. Uh, you're talking about meat-eating um, yes. aquatics. Now, why are they heavily, more heavily burdened with mercury? Oh, boy, this is an easy one for once. Uh, okay, so if you're consuming a lot of vegetation and not consuming meat, you're getting less minerals. Our agriculture doesn't contain minerals like it used to. Our corporate farming doesn't add minerals to the soil. People don't really compost like they used to. They don't add ashes from fires that they used to burn like they used to. We've dammed our streams, so we don't have the alluvial input of minerals from our mountain streams like we used to. We don't get minerals in our food anymore. So if you're eating only vegetation, you're not getting the minerals. 
because animals contain 10 times the amount of minerals. That's the first thing. The second thing is we need animal proteins and fats as carrier proteins to move our chelated mercury around in the blood into our livers and out in through the gastrointestinal tract. So people who are vegetarians, I understand the moral and ethical implications. I do. Uh, however, the problem is that we are not herbivores. We're never going to be herbivores. Some people get by on vegetation, vegetarian diets and so on, and that's okay. But the majority of us are going to need a certain amount of animal and fat protein in our diets to keep us healthy with a good amino acid profile and to keep us healthy, healthy by having uh, these uh, uh, carrier proteins which allow us to move mercury around in the body and get rid of it through our gastrointestinal tract. So that's the, the short story of it. I hope that was short enough. <laughs> Understandable enough. Okay. And um, fish, if a, if a fish is a, is a large fish that eats other fish, would that have more mercury in its body? Uh, this is another easy question, thank God, right? So what happens is as a fish gets bigger, just like us, it accumulates more mercury. And there's not really any way around that. Uh, they, the fish has sulfur on proteins and it accumulates mercury just like us. Now, if you're eating if you're a fish and eating a lot more fish rather than vegetation, you're acquiring more mercury. So carnivorous fish, such as your large tuna, swordfish, tilefish, shark, uh, have much more, 10 times the amount of mercury than a fish that's smaller and feeds lower on the food chain. So if you have a, you know, if you're eating, uh, you know, fish uh, that are feeding on plant matter, such as your you know, anchovies and all those uh, oily fishes, which are good for anti-inflammatory compounds because they contain omega-3s, they naturally contain less mercury than the larger carnivorous fish. Now, here's the other thing I'm going to quickly interject here, and that is certain areas of water have higher mercury than others. Well, one area that has higher mercury is the Indian River area community in Florida. I'm not quite sure why that is. Uh, it's probably because they say because there's so much sulfur in the swamps create more uh, methylmercury than from the elemental mercury. So anytime you have more anaerobic sediments, you have more of the creation of the toxic organic methylmercury form. The Mediterranean has a lot of geological activity and a lot of population, a lot of industry. So fish out of the Mediterranean have a lot more mercury. And then fish out of places that are semi-closed water bodies like the San Francisco Bay, that gets, especially because it gets dumped uh, mercury gets dumped in there from the mercury mines that are in California. So areas around the world have higher mercury than other areas. So the bottom line is that you avoid the car large carnivorous fish, you eat fish lower on the food chain, you eat fish that are raised in aquaculture and organic settings because aquaculture species are fast growing, they feed lower, lower on the food chain, and they're harvested at a young age. You don't keep a big a fish till it's 10 tons in your tank. You're going to harvest it while it's young and, and quickly growing so you can make money, right? So that fish generally has low mercury. And the only mercury in an aquaculture fish is going to come from the feed because it generally doesn't pick it up from the sediments because we really don't have sediments in our aquaculture uh, recirculating systems. Maybe out in the pond, and that's a different story. So you need to be careful about your aquaculture that it comes from uh, really recirculating systems that don't have an input from sediments because sometimes a fish grown out in, in, in open air ponds have access to sediments and they could get mercury from the sediments, such as carp. Carp will pick up mercury directly from the sediments uh, in the soil. So certain areas, Mediterranean, San Francisco Bay, maybe the area around northeastern uh, northeastern United States may have higher mercury levels because anytime you have more population, you have more organic pollution, higher sulfur, higher mercury from industry, you'd have higher mercury in your fish. So I hope right. so. that's the long answer. So it's very likely that we've got pockets of insomnia throughout America where these mercury and, and other diseases as well, which I'd like to ask you about. But it's very likely that you've got areas of America and other places of the world where people don't sleep well. <laughs> well, you know, that's very insightful to, to think about that. It's very intuitive because, yeah, that, that should be the case. You would find people out in the country sleeping better. Would that be right? Well, look, if yeah. you're in your industry that uses mercury, you're going to be higher. You're, you're a cold plant. You're going to have you higher in mercury. You're living near a population center. Uh, look, here's a good fact for you. You know, the biggest input of mercury in the New Jersey and New York harbors is actually from mercury amalgam fillings that flush into, from dentist offices flush into the bay. 
And, you know, the mercury levels in fish, and this is all through the research, this is in my work, the mercury levels in fish around population centers are always higher, always higher. You get closer to cities, you get more mercury. Uh, you have a lot fish that's larger, that has, look, take a look at the mouth of the fish. If it's big and got teeth, it's a carnivore. All right, uh, fish that that eat vegetation look a lot different. If you got teeth, you're going to eat something that's another fish, right? So a larger fish that's a carnivore is going to have more mercury because it's just bioaccumulating mercury. That small fish is accumulating mercury. It eats that large fish eats that smaller fish. It has higher level of mercury than vegetation. Vegetation, on the whole, does not absorb mercury from the environment, not from the soil. Uh, and, and interestingly enough, algae, just that, why do we take chlorella and spirulina? Uh, why do people take that? Uh, we ingest it because it absorbs and, 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 and holds onto mercury and we pass it out of our intestines before it has a chance to be reabsorbed and recycled in the body. So algaes have this natural affinity for mercury and it attaches to, to it. And so it's the same way out in the environment. The algaes can absorb mercury and they can actually give it off and, and volatilize the mercury and give it off into the atmosphere, which makes a huge potential to be used as a treatment agent. And so the bottom, I hope that's, that's a long enough story. I hope that makes sense to people as to how to avoid mercury. Get it from a good area that doesn't have mercury uh, and then a smaller fish that feeds lower on the food chain and an organic aquaculture product. Normally they're smaller, they're faster growing and they're not exposed to mercury in the environment. Right. You know, when you're saying, uh, when, you catch, when you catch a fish, you look at its teeth, it's got big teeth, it means it's going to be a carnivore and have high mercury. I really thought for a moment you're going to say, look at the teeth, see if there are amalgams there. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, if there was a way that the American Dental Association could get amalgams into and the, to the teeth of fish, I'm sure they would have already done it. I can tell you that. I can tell you the American Dental Association story, but I'm not sure you'd believe it unless you read the, the book, my book or another book, because it's laughable. It's, it's disturbing and it's laughable. I'm not sure you want to hear it. I, I actually, I, def I definitely turn. I'm sure I have yours too as well. I've got a bit of time. And I'm sure. I'm glad we have lots of time because unfortunately none of my answers are short. Okay, let's go back <laughs> to an interesting time, 1830s. Okay, people are using mercury to put in other people's teeth. And the dentist at the time said, well, you really shouldn't use mercury. You know, it's toxic. And people that were drinking mercury uh, were getting mercurial tumors. And people that were transferring mercury from Spain to the New World to be used in mercury gold amalgams to, to harvest all that gold and bring it back over to Spain, they were getting sick. If you had a ton of mercury free open on your ship because of uh, mercury spilled from a container, you got sick. People knew about mercury toxicity. So the dentists of the day said, look, hey, wow, don't use the mercury. In fact, dentists who used mercury at the time, okay, were known as quacks. Now that term came from the fact that mercury was known as quacksilver. God only knows why. But it was known as quacksilver. And anybody using mercury at the time was known as a quack. Well, now these medical doctors call people quacks that supposedly have treatments that don't work. Well, actually, they refer to people as quacks who have treatments that do work, so that's a longer story. So let's go forward. Let's go forward to 1860. At that time, we have the beginnings of the American Dental Association, and at that time, uh, the mercury in teeth was actually promoted, and in fact, you were uh, required to sign an agreement saying that you would use mercury in your dental practice, and mercury was good. Now, not everyone agreed with this, but this was the beginning of the American Dental Association and the use of mercury. Now, mercury amalgams contain 50% elemental mercury, and they give off vapor continually 24 hours a day in your into your mouth. The more you chew, the more acid, coffee, drink, and so on, the more vapor you get into your mouth, the more it gets into your blood, it goes into through your uh, uh, the brain barrier and it gets trapped in the brain you develop Alzheimer's Parkinson's and so on so up until this present day the American Dental Association says by God get yourself an amalgam they're fantastic hurry up so they're still promoting mercury amalgams it wasn't until I think it's like 2002 the American Dental Association finally got sued and said that or maybe it was the FDA said that you know what uh, God, gosh darn it, I think we were wrong. Uh, 
mercury amalgams, oops, I, they, might, they might be toxic. Uh, pregnant women and children should avoid mercury amalgams. Well, as it turns out, somebody is going to eventually sue the American Dental Association for an, an ungodly amount of money, like what happened to GMOs. Now, call me, don't call me a conspiracy theorist, because this is what happened to GMOs. Somebody sued somebody for a cancer they got from herbicide, what is it called? Glyphosate. And uh, lo and behold, a huge class action lawsuit. Now there's hundreds of millions and potentially billions of dollars against a herbicide that we shouldn't have had in the first place. Well, now we're finding out the American Dental Association is kind of folding goes sort of going like this, we shouldn't have mercury amalgams. Well, here's the kicker. I can tell you all the countries that uh, currently uh, ban mercury amalgam fillings. Here it is. Get ready. Get your pen, boys and girls. Here it comes. Norway, Sweden, Germany, Denmark, Italy. Italy, Finland, Estonia, Japan, Switzerland. Okay, those are all the countries that where you can't find a mercury amalgam. Now, why is that? Why would a country do that? They have an American Dental Association, don't they? Well, probably not. So what happens is they recognize these things as being absolutely horrific for the human body, causing massive amounts of every type of chronic disease you can imagine, and they've said enough is enough. We're not going to have this garbage here. We're getting rid of it. Now, the United States, currently, we still have 40% of all amalgams still contain mercury. Now, most people that are switched on, they listen to the Mike Adams, they listen to the Dr. McCullough's, they say, you know what, I know it's no good. Give me a porcelain or a plastic or something else in my, in my tooth, but don't give me mercury amalgams, okay? So what we see now is there is a education going on and a knowledge base which where people are just moving away from mercury amalgam fillings. But the American Dental Association tells its dentist, don't you say anything about, about, bad about mercury, I'll take away your license. And um, you know what, uh, the amalgams, they're not so bad. The president, the CEO of the, of the ADA says, mm, you know, it's not that bad and uh, don't worry and get your thimerosal and your vaccines, which we're gonna talk about hopefully, that's, that's more fun. And uh, the bottom line is <laughs> mercury amalgam fillings cost, cause uh, hundreds of millions of people, an ungodly amount of suffering uh, due to the toxicity of mercury. That's the truth. And 10 or 15 countries would not have banned mercury amalgams had they, had they been safe. So we're waking up, but it's taken a long time. Okay, I'll just squeeze a couple of questions in that have come through. One is from um, Irene Gamolka. Um, Irene is asking, regarding the environment, how do you recommend disposing fluorescent light tubes? Because they usually have Oh, God, this is a fantastic question. Uh, you know, going back to the incandescent bulb, they said, you know, the politicians and the powers that be said, oh, we have to do something about this, make this bulb uh, more efficient. And so what they did was make the fluorescent bulb. And the fluorescents are, what, 20% more efficient. And that's wonderful. The problem is that they each contain 10 to 30 milligrams of mercury each. So every time you throw away your fluorescent bulb instead of recycling, all that mercury is getting crushed in the landfill and the mercury is going up to into the atmosphere. Now what you're supposed to do, Irene, is supposed to take your fluorescent bulbs and bring them into the recycling unit. But I looked up online and I couldn't find a recycling center anywhere. And I couldn't find information on recycling fluorescent bulbs. But if you do break a fluorescent bulbs, be advised the vapor that's formed that from that mercury in that bulb is going to be toxic over time, develop vapor on its own, and you need to be very careful cleaning it up. Get it cleaned up as quickly as possible and don't breathe any of the vapors. Gosh, so there's no real solution, is there? If, if there's no recycling facility, what can you do? No, be very, very, very careful. Don't break those bulbs because they all contain mercury. So much for saving the environment because you, you traded one evil for another. It may be more efficient, but it's, it's got enough mercury to, to cause mercury toxicity through vapor emission. And it naturally evaporates mercury. <laughs> lovely. The yeah. second question. The lovely, yeah. And this, <laughs> Second question from uh, Gwen Burley. Um, she's asking, uh, what mineral supplements do you recommend? This is to chelate mercury from your body. Oh, sorry, to, um, to overcome the effects of mercury on your body. Um, is it any colloidal mineral supplement or uh, humic acid or fulvic acid? Right, so generally a mineral supplement is advised because our foods are just so much lower in minerals today because of corporate farming. I went through that already. But what you need is a hair test. And when you get the hair test, 
you look at all the minerals in your body and there'll be, if there's some really high and some really no, low, it's known as deranged mineral transport. You may find that you have a, a deficient in zinc. Now the symptoms of zinc uh, deficiency would be the inability to get a suntan, sinusitis, uh, poor sense of smell and so on. And what happens is to get an idea of what minerals you're low in, get a hair test. You'll find out if you have heavy metals, you'll find out if you're low in some minerals, you'll find out if you have deranged mineral transport, you can go online and look up the YouTube videos. Dr. Chris Shade is great and Dr. Lawrence Wilson are fantastic in explaining all that even better than I can. So you'll get an idea and then colloidal minerals. Two of the minerals you're likely to be low in with mercury toxicity are magnesium and potassium and, well, and even zinc, that's three. But you need to have a hair test oh my goodness. to check it out. Oh, no, don't tell me I have lost. Oh. Okay, I'm still here. Uh, it says uh, the internet connection's unstable. Yes, it was unstable. You, you, you left us on a cliffhanger. You're telling us <laughs> well, uh, two most likely things, minerals that we're deficient in, if we have mercury in our bodies, are... Okay, magnesium, uh, potassium, and zinc. Those are th th those. I would have to say are the three. But you really need a hair test to look at to see that you're low. And then sometimes the body throws uh, minerals into the blood in a in an in a opportunity to increase them in your body. So it's not always straightforward. You're low in one mineral, you need to take it. You're high in another mineral, you need to avoid it. It's a complicated situation. There are very good books out there by. Uh, Andrew Cutler describes uh, deranged mineral transport. Lawrence Wilson has wonderful videos on YouTube. And there's also another one. I think there's a, a James Watts from Trace Elements of Texas who has a book that's fantastic explaining all about mineral supplementation and hair test analysis. Wow. Well, we've come pretty close to the end of our summer. If there's no other questions online, uh, I can't see anything there. Um, if you can give again the your website, the okay. URL, people can look for more information. Okay. Yes. Um, my website is new, N-E-W, Aqua Tech Panama. So that's A-Q-U-A-T-E-C-H, Panama.com. If you look up Bill McGraw in Panama, you'll come up with my website. I do have a YouTube channel called The Mercury Channel, where I'll be talking about all the articles about mercury, uh, nearly probably every day, all the articles uh, in today's news, which is easy to talk about in full coals. And, and unfortunately, I have a whole bunch more information here to go through, but uh, that's all the time we have. And I think I've covered the most important points. And I had a lot of fun. I'd love to do it again whenever we have an opportunity. That's, it's been brilliant, actually, your talk. And I'd, I'd like to, um, at some point, um, get more of the protocols uh, information that you've used on people successfully to get rid of mercury in their body. So maybe if um, maybe we can do something else in the future, we can set up another interview or something. That's been fantastic having you on. Now we we always try and end these summers on a very very positive note. Now it's been quite a quite it's been we've had lots of positives throughout the summer. But what single piece of information would you like to give to people who live in the modern society now and they live in the city? They they without a doubt they're going to have mercury in their body. Right. What single piece of information and, and two words or less? Oh no, I can't do that. I can't do two oh, words. I'm going to okay. need maybe one sentence or less. <laughs> okay, I would say knowledge is the key. Be vigilant yes. about what you put on and in your body, and go with the with the basic principles that we've talked about, where mercury comes from, and the basics of how to get it out of your body. And, and knowledge is power. Knowledge is superpower for mercury. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> you did it. You did, I didn't expect it to be so short. <laughs> yeah. well, I did the best I could. Probably the biggest challenge I'm going to have is giving short answers. And the only complaint I've ever had is, don't you have to give short answers? And the bottom line is, no, I don't want to. <laughs> you know, I'm going to have to tell the whole story. And that's why I got into 400 pages and 500 sources in my book. Uh, so again, my book, Mercury, the Ultimate Truth and Chronic Disease, right? Available on Amazon. Hold, 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 it, hold it up, Bill. Hold Steady. So because of the internet was a little bit slow. Okay, there you have it, everybody. Go ahead and get a copy. It's so cheap. Did it say ten dollars from um from Amazon? Was that uh, right? from twenty-five bucks for the paperback and ten dollars for digital and you can get it free from the Amazon lending library. So uh, pretty affordable, I think. Uh, cheaper than an amalgam filling. <laughs> cheaper than an amalgam and definitely less harmful. <laughs> 
Right, good stuff, John. Fantastic. I enjoyed it very much. Uh, forward to to working uh, with the next piece of spooky gear like the scalar. The scalar waves, it looks awesome. You've done a great job. I mean, I think you should be getting a Nobel Peace Prize for all the work and, and all the suffering you've eased of all the people of the world. And I think in due time, I think Spooky 2 and Rife Technology will come to the forefront of medicine. And I think that one day you'll be recognized for all your hard work and efforts. I half agree with you. I hope that Rife does become the, the method of treatment and what is allopathic now will become an alternative. Right. But what you see from Spooky is a collection of many people. It's not just me. I just take all the credit, but it's actually the, the really smart people around me that do all the hard work, <laughs> all the hard jobs. And I suppose you could get them on Sam eventually too. We've actually got one of them now. We've got uh, Gwen Burley. Gwen Burley, she was one of the questioners. I didn't see her name up on the um, attendees, but she's using a code pseudo name or something. But Gwen, she's one of the, um, she's one of the fantastic people that are helping Spooky grow. And she's helped so many people restore their health. She's an amazing woman. I've met her in person. She lives in America. But apart from that, she's okay. Now she's actually a really nice person. Sorry, Gwen, I couldn't help that. You know me, I didn't need it. Right, right. right. It's been great. And we've got other supporters as well. We just hope that more and more people turn to um, taking control over their own health in whatever way they do it. Whatever I, think, way. I think it's inevitable because of the fact that, you know, modern medicine it gets more and more budgets and higher and higher grants and gets a worse and worse result for treating chronic disease. And the, the bottom line is it's continually treating symptoms, promoting more propaganda on the internet about these crazy drugs and drug deficiencies that we don't have. And over time, people are going to get like me. They're going to throw their hands in the air and say, look, I've had enough. I'm going to find out what's going on and fix myself. And I, I hope that enough uh, practitioners can get switched on enough so they can heal people so people like me don't end up spending all the rest of their lives studying medicine to fix themselves. <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah, that's right. You're right. You're 100% right. You know, the thing that really kicked me into rife was my grandfather dying from following the advice of taking medication drugs from doctors. Right. So right. similar story from other people. I'm not unique in that regard. People feel let down by right. by the medical system now. I, and you'll find millions and millions of stories about that. I, in fact, everybody who's going to watch this video is going to know several people who's on drugs, who's currently suffering from chronic toxicity. Everybody who knows anybody, a single person you know, then somebody who's had a, a hip replacement. Hip replacements yeah. are rampant now. Everybody's going out and getting new knee, hip, uh, elbow. God only knows what next. But the bottom line is, folks, you're still going to have osteoporosis no matter what you replace. You have to go back eventually. And sorry, you're going to have to fix the osteoporosis through mineral supplementation. It's going to have to happen. Eventually or, or you know, eventually. Now or eventually. <laughs> so that's the way it has to go. Sorry. Thank you for your time, Bill. It's been tremendous having you on our summer. This was episode 101. It's, um, it's got great significance. I'm not sure what the significance is, but it's <laughs> great right. significance. Well, you're, you know, the whole thing is about uh, knowledge and empowering yourself, being vigilant about what we put on in our bodies. And that's avoidance is the key because once you get mercury in your body, it's incredibly difficult to get rid of. And then you avoid it through knowledge. And what are you giving people? Knowledge. That's the way forward. That's the only way you're going to win. Thanks, Bill. Okay. Golden, golden words. You have a fantastic evening. Thank you so much again for your time. Thank you, John. Take care. You too, Bill. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.